We initially had thought, well, if we're going to go do this, we'll just charge a small percentage for everything you pull up. If you've earned $500 and you want to pull 200 out, then we'll just charge you 5%, right? And we'll make 10 bucks. That sounds great. Well, the problem with that is when you put percentage in there, it starts to look and feel a little more like a loan. So we ended up going with a, a flat rate that is viewed more as a convenience fee. The same way as, you know, when, whether you pull out 100 bucks or 200 bucks at an ATM, it's going to be the same ATM fee. So that regulatory compliance kind of a, a kind of made us relook at and, and adjust the way we were structuring things from a business perspective. My name is Matt Pierce, founder and CEO of Immediate. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Matt Pierce created a solution to financial stress by enabling you to get paid on demand. All this and more on Code Story. Matt Pierce has been a tech guy for his entire 17 year career. Coming out of grad school, he started out in healthcare tech for a decade or so. Eventually, he started down the path of being an entrepreneur. He's married with three daughters, two in third grade and one that is two years old. He mentioned the entrepreneurial dilemma of picking three of the five life choices, family, business, sleep, exercise, and friendships, and notes that his three are family, business, and sleep. After spending nights and weekends burning the midnight oil on a healthcare tech solution, Matt sat down with a prospective client and did the best pitch he'd ever done. The client's feedback was that it didn't solve her real problem, which was turnover, and which, in her opinion, boiled down to money. He realized that America is in the grip of an affordability crisis, with 230 million Americans living paycheck to paycheck, making it challenging to make ends meet much less cover any unexpected expenses that come up. After chatting with the client and a mentor, Matt uncovered the best potential solution for financial stress by providing a debt-free solution for employees to access earned wages and a flexible solution for employers to strengthen their workforce. This is the creation story of Immediate. Really at its basic core, it's a financial wellness company. It's a really interesting story how we got started. This spun out of another business that I'd started working on and spent kind of nights and weekends for about 18 months building a home health and home care scheduling platform. I'd had some negative experiences with aging family members as it pertains to uh, having caregivers that showed up on, on time to take care of my family. And so I set out, I, I love when I hear entrepreneurs say, I had the thought there has to be a better way. And that was my, that was kind of my light bulb. Gosh, there's gotta be a better way than this. And so I started building this home health and home care scheduling system. Did that on, on the side for about 18 months and decided I wanted to go full-time into it. And in order for me to go full-time, I said, I wanna land a really big customer, which essentially in my mind was trying to get to a set uh, MRR that I could, I could live and sustain off of. So I could get rid of, you know, stop doing my, my day job and then go focus on this. And, so I lined up a big prospect. I went in, I gave what was probably the best pitch I'd given on this and I got done and the lady said, you know, this doesn't really solve my problem, right? 
And I said, what do you mean it doesn't solve your problem? And she says, uh, she goes, you know, all the things you're talking about are, are just out, you know, outputs of what I'm really looking at as a bigger problem. That's, you know, my turnover rate is so high. And I said, uh, she goes, all your scheduling stuff isn't going to fix that. So, uh, so, you know, I, I kind of took the old take off the sales hat, put on the consulting hat. And I said, well, how, how do you fix that? And she, goes, uh, she said, well, gosh, if you could figure it out, I think you'd really be onto something. And I said, well, do you have any ideas? And she said, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to money. And I said, uh, money, so just pay your people more. And she goes, yeah, well, if I, if I start paying more, then the costs go up and then it just creates this cycle. She said, and eventually I kind of cap out what I can what I can charge and so it starts eating into my, my profit margins. So I said, well, just pay them more frequently. And she said, uh, well, thanks, man. You just doubled. If I went from biweekly pay to weekly pay, you just doubled my cost for payroll. And I go, huh. And she said, so think on it. Let me know. And I couldn't stop thinking about it for like a month. I sat down with a mentor and I kind of explained to him this problem. He goes, well, that seems like a huge issue. How many people live paycheck to paycheck in the U.S.? I looked it up and it was 78%. There's 160 million people in the U.S. workforce, right? It's crazy that four out of five people are living paycheck to paycheck. And when you really start peeling it back, I started reading articles in like Fortune magazine where there were these you know, dual income families making over $300,000 a year that, that had zero savings at the end of the year because as, as their income grew, their costs and their living expenses grew and they're sending their kids to private school and they've got fancy cars and all the things, right? And so it's not, people, people lose sight of paycheck to paycheck living is not just people that are making minimum wage. It, it can impact anybody and everybody. And what was even more concerning was that when people found themselves with an unexpected financial need in between paydays, they really had no place to turn. Uh, the places that they could turn were typically fairly predatory, right? If I've got a credit card, the, the, the APR, depending on my credit score, could, can range from 18 to 35%. If I turn to a title or a payday loan, those rates can be as, as high as in states like Texas, 664% APR for a payday loan. It completely creates this, this cycle of debt that unfortunately many Americans simply can't break. And so, so when we look at that, we said, how, how, is, how can we go in and, and start to fix some of these issues? And what we did, and, and essentially what, what I started here at Immediate as the founder of this company was, let's go in and connect with existing time tracking and payroll systems. And if we can go in and pull out data at the end of a shift that shows us exactly how many hours have been worked and how much money has been earned since the last payday, we can give people the ability to access their own earned but unpaid wages before the next payday for a nominal transaction fee. Now we're supporting thousands and thousands of people on our, on our platform. And so it's, it's really neat for me to see kind of where we went from this idea into where we are today and, and truly impacting people's lives and giving them a, a responsible alternative to those predatory lending services that I, I mentioned earlier. Let's jump into the MVP then. So that first product you built, right? You, you thought on it for a month, you got the feedback, you thought on it for a month, and you decided, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to attack this. Tell me about the first product. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Well, my biggest shortcoming as a tech founder is that I don't code. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, I, I have this great idea and I go, okay let me go find somebody who can build this. And uh, fortunately for me, I, I had a, a mentor, the same mentor I mentioned earlier that I had gone and talked to. And he goes, hey man, 
I got two people I want to introduce you to that I think can at least help steer the ship. And I said, before we go there, can we at least look through some things from a legal and regulatory compliance perspective? I don't want to be viewed or regulated as a lender. That seems like a huge, huge thing. So we spent from October 2018 until about uh, February, March 2019, really just jumping through some legal and regulatory compliance hurdles, which essentially gave us a roadmap of how we should build the MVP, which I think was really important for us. One of my favorite stories was back in the day when, when Reed Hastings was building Netflix and they had this idea of mailing DVDs. Before they went out and tried to do anything, they said, well, let's just figure out if we can actually mail DVDs with the standard, whatever it was at the time, like late 90s, 25 cent stamp. Because, hey, if we can't do that, then we're dead in the water before we get started. So they tell this story about how they bought like five DVDs, put them in envelopes, drove outside of town to five different mailbox drops, drop them off and then mail them back to their home. And so, you know, two days later, a day later, when they come in the mail, they get all excited and go, okay, now we can go out and start to build something. So I, I think of about that story often when I think about our early time with, hey, before we go out and start trying to build some, let's, let, let me make sure that from a legal and regulatory compliance perspective, that this isn't something that's going to get us in some hot water. And so we, we kind of jumped through all those hoops. And then in March, the conversation I, I began having with who, who's, who's now my CTO is Jason Guzdala, started having these conversations with Jason about what we could do to, to build the first, uh, the first product. And the product is called Immediate Pay because he had experience building uh, or leveraging APIs to extract data and normalize data and then be able to serve it up. That's really what we set out to do. And, and the, fir the first thought was let's build a web app and use it and, and do that to go out and, and just kind of prove this model out and prove that we could make something work. And as we started down the path a little further, I, I started like, like any good entrepreneur and salesperson, I started selling and uh, before we had even written a line of code. <laughs> And I had somebody that said, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm ready. When are you ready? And I said, oh, we'll have it ready in a couple months. Right. And so I said, well, Hey, we already got, I mean, look, I sold this thing for two weeks and I already got a first customer signed up. So let's just jump right into building this thing as an app. So in hindsight, I think the, the, the better way to do it would have to been to build a, a, a web app just to get going where someone could access it on their phone. Just as, as kind of, if I'm taking that Netflix mindset of let's just make sure that the DVDs when they mail, they actually show up. But but instead, what we did was we, we set out with our, our first product that was just released in iOS and it was uh, the immediate pay app where essentially we found out who, who that first customer was using from a time tracking and payroll perspective. Uh, the, the really quick story on that that I think uh, is always a fun scrappy startup story to share is we found out that the company they were using for payroll is uh, is one of the more dated systems out there, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share who it is just to to, to save face for them. But it's a it, it's a payroll system that doesn't have a public API, and so I got the deal closed. They signed a contract, and I go back to Jason. And I said, "Hey, man, it's a company there on this," and he goes, "Are you serious? Of all the payroll systems, that's the one you've got to pick for the first one?" I said, "Well, you know, listen, we got to take care of the customers, right?" And he says, uh, "He goes, all right, well, let me see what I can do." But they don't have a public API. I don't know if I can do this. And so I said, I, I got an idea. I picked up the phone and I called the sales office and uh, the, this this local here in Birmingham. And I got one of their salespeople on the phone and I said, Hey, look, you know, I'm I'm a one man company, but we're going to be growing, and I want to use your payroll service. When can I get started? And they said, well, One person. How, what, what do you? 
how much do you make? What do you what do you get paid? And I said, what's minimum wage? And they said, seven twenty-five. And I said, I make seven twenty-five an hour. And you know, we're bootstrapping at this point, right? I'm like, I just need something. They said, how often do you work? I was like, ah, I just I pay myself like one hour a week, you know. <laughs> so so uh, long story short, I ended up signing a contract with these guys just so we could get access to their system, so we could go build the first integration. Of course, our oldest integration to date. We now have um, almost fifty integrations that we've built. We we designed it initially in um, in, in Flutter, and Flutter essentially allows us to to build out uh, the a web app iOS and Android, and just kind of focused on the iOS for the first re- release. And that's been something that's been really good behind the scenes to help us as as we scale. As just previous experience we've seen where we've had to go and build an iOS and then build a separate a separate version for Android, and just felt like you know. You, you, You're kind of caught up and going back and forth, and so with this, when we got started, we felt the best way to do it was to go in uh, and, and design it in, in, in Flutter, and so that's that's how we got started. That was the MVP. We launched our first customer in September 2019. So from April, wrote the first line in, of code in April, and then launched the first customer in September. So um, you know, nice four four or five months there, and um, and and then we've just been growing steadily ever since. You talked about, you know, choosing the the antiquated payroll, or because that was what your first customer um, was using. So that's a you know a decisions and trade off, a decision and a trade off you had to make there. Like we're going to go target this because that's what they got. Um, I'm curious if any of the the regulatory investigation or anything like that caused any more you know trade offs and decisions that you had to make, and as far as how you were going to build the product. It was interesting because it, it impacted us in a couple of ways. So one, just from a pricing perspective, we initially had thought, well, if we're going to go do this, we'll just charge a small percentage for everything you pull out. If, if you if you've earned five hundred dollars and you want to pull two hundred out, then we'll just charge you five percent, right? And we'll make ten bucks. That sounds great. Well, the problem with that is when you put percentage in there, it starts to look and feel a little more like a loan. And so we ended up going with a, a flat rate that is viewed more as a convenience fee. The same way as you know, when, whether you pull out a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks at an ATM, it's going to be the same ATM fee. So, so that regulatory compliance kind of a, a, kind of made us relook at and, and adjust the way we were structuring things from a business perspective. When you take it out and look at it from a product perspective, it really showed us how important it was to get the time tracking data. Early on, we thought, "Hey, we can just integrate with payroll systems. We can do do that, and then we can get this feed out of the payroll system. We know their hourly rate. We know whether they're employed. We've got their employee ID. We can look at previous paychecks, and we can just kind of say, well, hey, look, every paycheck on average over the past, let's just say, 90 days, you're averaging a thousand dollars a paycheck. So we're going to assume that so long as you're employed, you're still getting that. We can make all these assumptions. Well, we know what happens when when you start to make assumptions in a highly regulated environment. It doesn't really work out." And so again, kind of going back to these regulatory pieces, if we want to make sure that we're not viewed or regulated as a lender, then we've got to go build these time tracking integrations. So it's just interesting how things evolve. Early on, we're like, we're just going to connect to every payroll system we can, and then we're going to use the data that we have to provide a really good service. But what we learned is, if we can go and integrate with the time tracking system, now it's it's to the T. You may have historically always earned a thousand dollars a pay period, but you just moved into a new role, and now you're making thirteen hundred dollars a pay period. And so, with this time tracking data, we can now get this feed, and we do sweeps, whether through APIs or we do automated exports at the end of a shift. 
you know, if it's a, if it's a, a Wednesday at 9 a.m. and most of the shifts clock out at two o'clock and six o'clock, then we know at 2 p.m. we're going to get that feed of data from the time tracking system. It's going to show by employee ID everybody who clocked out in that last window, and we've got down to the dollar how much they've earned since their last payday. And so those those legal regulatory reviews and and, and diligence we did early on really helped us find ourselves in the right spot to ensure that that if that we didn't want to play in a gray area let's go in and be as specific and detailed as possible and so it helped us from a business case perspective and then helped us in a practicality perspective so with with the mvp you got immediate pay you and you started with an antiquated payroll but then you started hooking up payrolls um after that pulling in feeds of information i hear all that what, I, what i'm curious about is you know how did you progress the product from there and how did you mature it and put that kind of in a box how how did you build your roadmap? I know the the regulatory portion of it drove the initial roadmap, um, but how did you decide, how did you and your team decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? That's the part where it's really funny how when you think back on some of these things and you look at it and go, this is what I think we should do, or this is what we want to do, or this is what we're thinking. And then you get out there, it's the old Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> you know, every entrepreneur's got a roadmap until they get out there and, uh, and a customer actually starts using it. One of the things that I really pride ourselves in is taking the time to sit down with our customers and really ask for feedback and input and, and trying to operate less on what we think versus what we're hearing from our customer. The interesting thing for us is is we have uh, we have multiple customers, right? We're a B two B two C platform, so we can go. In, I can go in and sit down with HR directors all day long, and they can tell me all the things that they think we should be doing, and and all the things they think their team will want, and then we'll get it out into the hands of their teams, and their team will think and say very different things, because there's always this disconnect. I can sit here in our headquarters in Birmingham, Alabama, and say, well, even on a startup salary, I I, I live a pretty good life. I'm not struggling. I'm not really living paycheck to paycheck here, but I could take the same earnings that I have here and then move me to Connecticut or put me in Silicon Valley and, uh, and, and I'm going to have different financial needs. For us, as opposed to uh, our team sitting wherever they are and trying to make decisions that's going to impact people today, we have users in 46 of the 50 states. and. We've got a plan to get those other four locked down here in the next couple of months. It's really important for us to regularly survey our users and, uh, and also survey their employers, uh, but make sure that we're in every update that we're doing things that are making sense for them and listening to them and taking that feedback. And so one of the things I'm excited about as we come towards the end of, uh, of the year here and, and planning into 2022 is, is really putting in place um, uh, end of the end of year surveys. We did this last year, and and so we we put out there. Um, can you share with us some of your input and feedback and suggestions from what you've experienced? And then as we start to build out some of our plans, we'll actually let some of our our user community vote on what we're going to do next year. Now, 
that doesn't mean that they're completely dictating the roadmap because there are always regulatory compliance things. There are certain things that we have to do internally that are going to help us out. So, so we, we still have, you know, final say, but it's good to get that input. So these surveys go out the end of every year and, and we show some of the things that we're really thinking about and that we're looking into that we would like to add in, in the coming year in the platform and get that feedback. And so to me, it's always really nice when you've got, uh, when you've got a, a vocal, and willing to share user community that can tell you, and then we can take all that, we come in, we sit down, we have regular uh, product roadmap reviews. Uh, I, of course, meet with Jason, our CTO every week, but then uh, as a leadership team, we have product roadmap reviews each month where we look at where we are, we get regular feedback from sales and partnerships and, and CS, and, and really make sure that we're all kind of collectively aligned on, hey, what's, what, what does the next version look like and what are the things that we're doing and, and is that really going to add, add value to, to all of our user community, all of our customers? Let's switch to team. So tell me about how you built your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? It's interesting as, a, as an entrepreneur, I think one of the, the most important things that you can possess is self-awareness and identifying your strengths and weaknesses. And so the same that I, I said early on is, you know, my, my biggest flaw as a tech entrepreneur is I don't write code. The first thing I recognize my biggest, uh, my biggest need, my biggest weakness is to go find uh, a technical co-founder. And that's what I got in Jason and Jason has done a, an incredible job in building out this product and helping us get to where we are and then, uh, and then and building a nice roadmap for the future. When you start to grow, it, it really, for me, it comes down to um, continually looking at areas across the company. So that self-awareness evolves from just looking at yourself and then it starts to go into looking at the whole company. So I sat back and I said, all right, well, uh, early on, I mean, I, I was, Jason was, Jason was still working a full-time job early on and he was doing nights and weekends and launched our first customers. I mentioned earlier, September, 2019, December, 2019 was when we hired our first other full-time employees. And so I was the first full-time guy. So for the first, you know, roughly year or so, it was just me. When we launched the first couple customers, it was me and Jason doing the launches. And uh, we were taking support calls and, uh, and, and we were really figuring out, unfortunately, they weren't real big customers and we could kind of navigate those waters. But when we looked at it, like, all right, what are the things we're really good at? What are the things we need to get off our plate? And so the first, the first hire that we, we made was um, a customer support person. And she's been with us since then. She's um, the longest tenured outside of me. She's the longest tenured full-time employee. She started helping us with support and she started helping us with customer success, kind of the implementations. And then, uh, and then we, we went and hired another person and said, all right, well, we want to move her. We're closing enough deals. And at that point, I was the only one selling. I'm, I'm out selling enough, closing enough deals. We need, we need her focused just on customer success. So we go hire a customer support person and he is still with us as well today. Uh, so we hired him, I, I want to say um, he started in January 2020. And, and so it's just, it, to me, it's, it's a continual evaluation of your team of where are you excelling and where are areas that you need, you need some help. Of course, for us now, as, as we've got a full leadership team, we're, we're nearly 50 employees now at Immediate, uh, you know, here two, two years later, which is crazy when I think about December 2019, it was just me. It's just a continual evolution of finding, identifying streaks and weaknesses and then kind of filling in some of those gaps. And then I think the, the other asterisk that comes by it is making sure that you're hiring um, as good culture fits. And, and so a big thing for us is we're a mission-driven organization. 
we're on a mission to positively impact the financial well-being of a million Americans over the next three years. And so we're, we're actively looking for people that are going to come in and buy into that mission. I mean, you'll, you'll notice our mission didn't say, well, we're going to build a billion dollar company, right? Our mission didn't say, well, we're going to go, we're going to go do this. We're going to do that. Our mission is really driven around creating social impact and helping people. And I believe as a for-profit business, if we help people and we do it the right way and we do it responsibly, we'll generate enough revenue to be a really successful, sustainable, long-term business. But for us, it's finding people that, that fill in some of the gaps that we need as an organization and then that buy into this culture and buy into this mission and want to put their head down and, and get up and go to work every day to go to go fight and, and to go win and to go make sure that we're we're supporting our user community as best we can. And so it's it's a really cool, delicate balance and, and continual um, you know continually refining the process and looking for places and figuring out is this the right person to that role? We've got a couple of people that we've moved around to different roles inside the organization. We hired him for one. We had a guy that three months ago, we hired him for a role and literally was here two weeks and we we're like, that guy's in the wrong role. This is his strength and that's where he needs to be. And we start moving around and, and, and it, to me, it's, it's really when you, get, when you get a team that's all rowing in the same direction and they're all sitting in the right spot and they're all, they're all contributing in the right ways, that's, and, and, and then obviously they're all bought into this mission, that's, that's when you really hit a stride and you start to grow even more aggressively and more quickly than, than we've been growing already. And so that's been a really fun part about building this team. You know, I, I hear a lot the making sure you're a culture fit, making sure that you're you're mission driven, and that that makes sense. But I really love the way you methodically self reflected, or in, in in self being you or self being the company, and figured out okay, where are our gaps, where are our weaknesses, and let's fill roles where those areas are, so that we can strengthen us as a whole. I think that's really unique. It's an incredibly brilliant approach. So kudos on that. It's, it's interesting, it goes back to like one of the first questions you ask about like exercise, right? It's, I remember when I was first coming out of college and, and um, you know, back in the days when we still had like plenty of time and, and good metabolism and, and all that. And, and I was a young single guy and I was, I was getting ready to go to the beach with, with a bunch of friends. And, and I remember like the lead up to it going, you know what, I'm going to eat really good. I'm going to work out really hard. I'm going to do a ton of sit-ups. And man, when we go on the beach, I'm gonna have like six pack abs and I'm gonna be just rocking and rolling. And I work so hard and I remember like, because I was doing so much of that and I, I didn't focus on other areas of my body that I end up like tweaking my back and just feeling awful the whole trip. <laughs> I don't even know if I ever took my shirt off, right? Like, and, and it was because I'd spent too much time working out my core, my stomach, but not spending time working on my lower back. And so, so it, it's kind of like, it's, it's looking at the same thing, like today when I spend time doing uh, doing core exercises. It's not just about working the, you know, your stomach muscles. It's about working your obliques and also working your, your lower back. It's the same way that you've got to look at strengths and you've got to look at the company and go, what are the things that we're doing really well? And how do we make sure that if we do that too well, look, Hey, I could go hire 10 killer salespeople, but if they're doing so good that it overwhelms our CS team, then we're not going to deliver a, a, a great user experience and, and it's going to stunt our growth, right? And then it's going to frustrate the salespeople and then they're going to end up bouncing because they're like, everything I close ends up getting put in this long queue and they never launch and I never get paid. And so it's, it's one of those things where you've got to continually look at those things and, and, and figure out what makes the most sense. Where's a strength? Where's a weakness? How can we fill those things in? It just makes so much sense when you look at it in ways like that. 
Well, let's flip to scalability. And scalability can mean a lot of different things. It can mean, you know, technology, infrastructure, and even people. So did you build this thing to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow? I was on a panel a couple of weeks ago, and there was somebody else on the panel that was building more of a, uh, a lifestyle business. And, um, and they make decisions very differently than, than we do, right? Um, we early on decided we want to build a high growth company. We're in a, what we believe to be a land grab market. Less than 10% of companies in the U.S. are offering an on-demand pay solution like what we offer. And, and we think this is something in the next 10 years that will be ubiquitous. That every company in the U.S. will have some sort of on-demand pay solution, a, a financial safety net for their team. And so we made the decision early on, let's go out, let's raise money, and let's scale rapidly. It's relatively easy to make that decision early on and then you get into it and you're going, oh man, what what, what, what we get ourselves into, you know? Like building a, a, a rapidly scaling company is, is a lot. You have to move fast, you have to make quick decisions. You've got, you've got to always be looking for potential pitfalls. And so it was something that when, when we started building the company in general, we were building it for high growth. And so in order to do that, obviously, I had to sit down with Jason and go, hey man, how are we going to build a product that, you know, when we launch our first customer that was like 25 employees and we get our first, I think, I think our first four customers, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact number, I think, when we went and did our first round of uh, outside funding, we had four customers and it was 141 total employees on the platform. You know, you're sitting there looking at a, an, an average of 35 people, right, uh, per company. So these are small, like really, you know, easy to go out and do. And I said, all right, is this the way you've built this? How do we get this to where we need to go? And, and so it really was a conscious effort of going, let's always make sure that we're staying ahead. You know, we're, we're usually overstaffed on our CS team, kind of like the, the point I just made a minute ago where, you know, if you overstaff on sales and you outkick your coverage, then you're going to get in trouble. And so we, we're usually overstaffed on our success team and always making sure that we've got people there to train and, and, and answer support tickets and make sure that we can take care of people. And so let's make sure that we can do the same thing for a product and make sure that this product, hey, if we go out tomorrow and sign up a, a 50,000 employee company, and we launched them in six weeks and we have great enrollment, what does that look like? And how much server capacity do we need to have? And, and how many concurrent users can be in the app at the same time? And, and so there's a lot of those things that we had to really look at early on and figure out. And then as we've grown in scale, just continually, continually adjust. We're a data-driven organization. And, uh, and we've got, I've, I've got them on my tabs right now. We've got leadership dashboards where every Monday our leadership team goes in and updates in, in each department where they are and some of the KPIs. And so at any point I could go in and I could look and I can see, well, this is how many transactions we did last, last week. This is how many enrolled users. This is how many have been invited, but have not yet enrolled. I can figure out all that data. I've got it at my, at my fingertips. One of the things that we've been really fortunate in the way that our business model is, is it's not a mission critical kind of thing, right? Like coming from the healthcare technology world where, where we're using electronic health records, that's mission critical. If your EHR drops when your doctor's at the point of care with, with a patient and they got to go back to using paper, that's a major issue, right? And so you've got to make sure that you can have a number of concurrent users in the, in the system at the same time. With us, uh, if you get a thousand, a thousand employees, we're usually seeing 20% of employees will enroll and use our, our, our solution each pay period. 
which is really interesting, right? I mean, we talk about 78% of the population living paycheck to paycheck, but only about one in five are using our solution each each pay period, but they're, but they're regularly using it, right? And so it's interesting when we see that, we go, all right, well, we get a, you know, we sign a 50,000 employee company where we're going to have 10,000 people that are using this. But those 10,000 people aren't all going to log in on Wednesday at 5 p.m. It's going to be because different people have different financial needs. They're going to log in at different times. And so it's been really neat for us to be able to build out a platform that allows for, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of concurrent users and us never coming anywhere close to having that many concurrent users in the platform at the same time. It's always something that we're keeping our eyes on and, and we're always checking on and always kind of preparing. And it's really great the way our, our sales team reports out to CS and to, to our, our, our product and R&D team on what the pipeline looks like. So we make sure that we're prepared and, 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 and able to scale as, as we need to. But we've done a really good job, in my opinion, of, of kind of getting out in front of that planning, making sure we build out the, 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 right, the right plan for it and then being able to adjust as, as we continue to grow. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, the, the thing that I'm most proud of is when I go back to that early conversation I had, you know, the light bulb moment, and then I spend like an, uh, a month just thinking about this and then fast forwarding to where we are today and knowing the impact that we're creating uh, across this country, like I said earlier, 46 states tens of thousands of people that are using this all the time. Um, it's, you know, we, we, we've got about 175 companies that are on our platform today, which is really awesome. And so to think about, to think about the impact that we're having, I, I tell our team a lot, um, you know, this isn't necessarily something that you're going to see in an investor update or, uh, or something that a, a VC is going to sit down and give you the good thumbs up and a high five on. But, but it's something that I, I really hold near and dear to my heart is, is I believe that uh, one of the biggest outputs of this company uh, is going to be something that we never see. And, and I believe one of the biggest success stories of this company is going to be something that we never see. It's, it's going to create generational change. And, and that's what I think is so cool. When you think about tens of thousands of people that you're able to go in and impact their lives financially, and, and you take a, a mom who's used to going to get a payday loan one Friday morning every month, and, and her children watch her walk out and go down the store to the, the quick loan place and come back with, uh, you know, comes back with, with cash, and they see them stop doing that, and they ask them a question about it and they say, well, my company started offering this awesome, this awesome product called immediate pay where I get to use my own money instead of having to borrow from the guys down the street and it and, and takes me weeks or months or years to pay off those loans. And now you've got children that are seeing their parents manage their money in a different way. I, I think things like that, like I said, you're not going to see that in an investor update. We'll never see the, the actual, and that's something we can never really gauge. Um, but I just think it's really cool to think about the impact that we're having and, and, and helping people find and sustain financial happiness. And so that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of. I, I would say that the part B to that would be that this team that we've built of people that believe in that same mission. And, and when, when we get together and, and we do every, every Monday morning, we do, uh, we do team meetings and most of those are, are over zoom. 
Um, we've got the whole company coming in for a, a, a meeting in the next couple of weeks. So we'll all be in the same room. But I know when I share things sometimes or we'll have somebody from our customer success team read off a, a support ticket or, or uh, which the support tickets in a lot of cases for us are like praise tickets. Like, thank you for this because of this. We read those off and I just watch the, the smiles light up on, on my screen of all the people that that are here that believe in what we're doing and they get to see that and hear that it makes me incredibly proud and humbled to be able to to be able to do this let's flip the script a little bit so tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it it's interesting because one of the questions you asked earlier was about the roadmap and some of the things that we've done i think some of the i think a lot of that is kind of based off of well, we did. We did. Uh, we've always done a good job from early on of asking questions. You know, we we've made some mistakes along the way of like putting something out that we thought was cool, and uh, and then you know nobody uses it uh, or very few people use it, and we kind of go, well, was that really? Do we should we should we have done that or should we have spent more time working on on something else? And so I I think that a lot of it, especially as an early stage company, a, a, a lot of it, and, and and not to say that that's only happened in the product space. It's happened in. Um, you know, partnerships. We've we've formed partnerships with companies like, oh man, this would be a great partnership. Let's go get this thing, and they'll bring us a bunch of leads, and and we invest a bunch of time and energy, and then we literally never get a single lead out of it. You know, and you kind of go, ah, oh, gosh, that's just part of doing business, right? You you, you figure those things out. So, I'm I, you know I'm a big believer, and and our team hears me say this a lot. I'm a I'm a big believer that life happens uh, for you, not to you. And, and if you take an approach of that, that when, when these negative things happen or when something goes out that didn't, that didn't take off the way we expected it to take off or a partnership that didn't have the success we thought it was going to have or, or you know, maybe it's a, an, an individual that we hired that we thought would be a great fit and just unfortunately didn't, didn't work out. I look at those things and go, well, let's, let's do a post-mortem and let's figure out what, what went wrong. And then let's try to figure out how we can make sure we don't make that same mistake in the future. So, you know, the example that pops to mind is, yeah, we, we pushed out a product that uh, or we pushed out a product enhancement that nobody really, really used. But hey, look, if we learn from that, that's a really good mistake to make because it's going to make sure that in the future, what we've done now, going back to that earlier question, is we're going to do a much better job of going in with product roadmap and making sure that the things that we're putting out are things that our customers are asking for. So that led to us doing this annual survey of, hey, here's five things that we're thinking about doing next year. What do you guys think? So it's really cool to me when you see some of the negatives turn into a positive in, in ways like that. Well, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? Well, as, as we fast forward in, into the new year, you know, we're, we're trending this year towards uh, about 600% year over year growth. And, and so when I think about 2022, um, um, I'm expecting and, and hoping to, to match that or, or, or outperform that, which is obviously gets harder and harder to do that each year. Is two years ago, we grew some ridiculous number, like 8,000%. And it's like, well, yeah, it's easy to do that when you start the year with, 100, with 140 people. You know? <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> and then you grow and then you go, wait a second now. Gosh, uh, we can't get to four figures this year, but maybe we can get high, high triple digits. So, you know, when I look at the company, I, I'm I'm so bullish on 2022, and I'm bullish for a variety of reasons. One, because because as we've talked about, this awesome product, this awesome team that we've built, but also because the conversations we're starting to have in the market are very different than they were two, three years ago. Right? Early on, I would I would say, you know, this is we do on-demand pay, and then go, what what do you mean? 
of these people get paid on demand. Well, how does that work? You know, and, and you've got, I, mean, it, I, I literally felt like the first 15 minutes of most of our sales calls early on were me just trying to explain what we do to people versus now, I'll, you know, we, we got, uh, we get inbound leads every single day. I, one of our um, salespeople just forwarded something to me earlier and said, hey, do you know this company? They just inbounded. And, um, and it's, so it's, it's cool because people are coming to us and going, hey, we see what you're doing and we think it's gonna help with our recruitment and retention efforts. And uh, or we, we have people that will come to us. I had somebody stop me. Uh, I was at like a, a, a barbecue or something this summer. And uh, this, this guy stopped me and said, hey man, I, I heard about what you guys are doing and I never realized how big of an issue this was for um, for a lot of our hourly employees. And I don't know if he had listened to me on a podcast or he watched one of our videos. We, we put a lot of videos out on social just to try to educate people. And and he was like, "But I, this is something I, I think you need to come in. I want you to come in and meet with our HR team. And it turned into a great opportunity for us. And, and so what's cool to me is when I look into 2022, I look at um, there's going to be a, there's a lot more companies out there that are recognizing the value of offering a solution like this. It's, it's easy for me because I'm an optimist and I started this company, right? It's easy for me to go, well, this is a no brainer. It costs the company nothing. It's minimally impactful to your business and your existing processes, and it's going to help your people out. Like, why wouldn't you do it? Right. But I understand that, that as a company, you've built processes and procedures in place for a reason. And so it's, it's, it's really cool for me when I start to see companies that are recognizing that this is something that is really a value add and uh, it is a way that they're going to differentiate in 2022. So when I think about next year, like what's coming up is, is really excitement around the way that we can continue to grow this company and the things that we can do to, to, to impact lives. Let's switch to you, Matt. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person that you look up to and why. You know, what, what's really interesting uh, for me is, uh, especially in this, in this role where uh, my role obviously evolves on a regular basis. And as a CEO, I really look to, to leaders, right? Um, I think back to when I was a kid, I never really liked reading fiction books. I always liked reading biographies because I wanted to look for successful people and I wanted to go, how can I learn from somebody who's done something really incredible, like becoming the president of the United States or somebody who's, who started a company or I remember writing a paper on uh, Henry Ford when I was a kid, like somebody who started like started automobiles, like look at where they are today, you know? And so, so it's, it's hard for me to narrow it down to, to one person, um, to be really honest. I, I just, I'm just such a big fan of leadership in general. And, and I watch it, you know, I see it with people like Tom Brady on a football field and the way that he, uh, the way that he commands his team and he leads them. And then I watch when he gives a speech uh, after they won the Super Bowl and I, and I hear people from the crowd and I hear him calling people by name. People that I had no clue, no clue who they were. Offensive lineman people on defense, he's calling them by name in the crowd about how they contributed to the, the team's success. Like that to me is leadership, right? Uh, if we're sticking with, with football, uh, even though I'm an Auburn grad, I have so much respect for Nick Saban. I mean, just, just year after year, the guy just produces and, and his coaches will turn over his coaches, go somewhere else and start to start to, you know, go, go coach somewhere else and come back and try to compete with them. And they still can't beat him. You know, it's like, it's like this guy just knows how to lead and, and inspire and get the most out of people. And, um, and so I, I look at people like that. And then obviously in the business world, 
uh, there's so much good that you can glean from people like Tim Cook and uh, and and people like Elon Musk, and you can just learn so much from from leaders. So I I really look at as opposed to looking at like one person that I really look up to and, and learn a ton from, I really look out and go, what what are who are people that are that are leaders that I can learn from, and I can I can take some nuggets and take those and try to implement those to be a better leader myself as a fast growing organization. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? This isn't something I've ever really thought about. If, if I could do things differently, I think initially we probably could have gone like web app versus actually building out uh, a, an iOS app. And, and largely just because it's, it's less, there's less hoops to jump through to get that first version out there. And, and so when, when, I, when I go back to that Netflix story, like that would have been the path of least resistance to get something out there, test it, see if it works, see if people actually use it, and then really start investing more. The other thing that I think we would have done a little bit differently just from a, a, a growth perspective is, is I held on to the reins pretty tightly for a long time from a sales perspective. I mean, like I guess it was 2020. I can't remember how many deals we closed, but I closed literally like 96% of them. <laughs> you know, it's like we were starting to build a sales team, but I was still going in there like driving a lot of deals. And then this year it's, you know, I've closed like uh, maybe single digit percentage of them because I'm not selling directly as much. I think in hindsight, I, I, I could have done a better job of relinquishing some of that control earlier on and, and moved more into a a leadership role and kind of like producing leaders and helping them grow. And, and that's what I think I've done a better job of this year with, with the team that we have in place, just from a, a growth sales partnership and marketing perspective. Well, last question, Matt. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I, I usually like to give the advice to potential entrepreneurs not to do it. And I know that that sounds like really uh, contradictory because here I am. Um, but but I, I, I say it for a couple of reasons. Um, if people tell me, um, if, look, if somebody's already started, I'm going to try to be supportive, right? If somebody's like, man, I'm thinking about going to do this, I'll go, yeah, you shouldn't. And I'll go, what? Oh, you don't think my idea is good? No, it doesn't have anything to do with your idea. Do you think your idea is good? It really what it what it is is it's it's challenging them to really do the work and really put in the effort and uh, and thought and preparation for what's about to come. Because man, the startup journey is not easy. And um, and I, I mean, I, you know, I, I it's funny. I'll still have conversations with my wife where she's like, you know, when when I was first getting this started, uh, I had a uh, I had somebody that approached me for a, a really really good uh, corporate job, and it would have paid me really well and uh, been a lot less stressful than what I'm what I chose to do. And obviously, we know the path I took. And she'll go, you, you still think you made the right decision, you know? And she'll say that every now and again when I'm pulling my hair out over something and. And I'll go, heck yeah, I made the right decision, you know, it's because this is something that for me, this is like, you know, I, I, I have, um, I have a high risk tolerance. I'm, I'm willing to take, uh, I'm willing to take a leap. I believe in something. I want to go do it. Um, but that, I didn't do that overnight, right? That took me time to grow into it and get comfortable with, with this and comfort with, 
comfort with in, in the uncomfortable situations and stability and unstable times and and so it's early on when when you talk to somebody if they're really early on they're trying to figure out should I go do this hey, you shouldn't do it because what you want to do is you you shouldn't do it until you're a hundred percent that you can do this and that you're okay with failing and that you're going to be okay with success I, I uh, there's a there's a great quote and I don't recall who said it first the person I heard say it was Will Smith and, and it's um and it's don't let success go to your head or failure go to your heart and I think that's such a strong word of advice that uh, you know most most companies are, are not going to work out or they're going to have to pivot or they're going to fail in general or they're going to be successful but when you're successful you've got to understand like I can sit here and look and go man this this company immediately has been wildly successful it's all because of me which is not at all the case right uh, I have very little to do with it I started it and then I hired people that were smarter than me and that filled in my weaknesses that are making this what it's becoming and what it will be and and so i think it's really important that whether you're successful or you're not successful that you understand that um that, that things can go a variety of different ways so when you're really early on if somebody's thinking about doing this and you tell them not to do it then they're going to really have to convince themselves that it's really worth doing uh, or they're going to go yeah maybe this isn't that good of an idea and they're going to be better off for it because you'd rather them quit and give up now before they get into it, quit their job and throw away a bunch of money and then get six months into it and figure out this wasn't really that good of an idea. So I usually give that and say, look, but look, hey, if you if you do decide to do it, I'll be here to support you. You let me know what I can do. So that's usually my advice. That's a great challenge. I love that. Well, Matt, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Immediate. Absolutely. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.